welcome to Radical Math Talk, the podcast dedicated to the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I will highlight the incredible educators who are reshaping, redefining, and decolonizing the way that math education is taught in our schools. In other words, this will not be your typical math podcast. My goal is to center the stories and hidden truths that will not only ignite a cultural paradigm shift in math education, but more specifically, explore the multiple ways in which math can be used as a vehicle for social justice and anti-racist solidarity. So if you are ready for a math revolution like no other, then sit back, relax, and lend me your ears as we embark on this journey together. Enjoy the show. What's going on, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Radical Math Talk, the show for the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Salfamensa. And as always, if you are coming on to this podcast and listening for the very first time, I welcome you and I hope that you return after this episode, which I know you'll like uh, for future episodes and more content. And if you're a returning listener or viewer of the podcast, As always, I welcome you back, and I hope that today's episode is one that you find informative, enlightening, and, of course, insightful. So, before we introduce our newest guest, just a reminder, if you are tuning in from YouTube, make sure you hit that red subscribe button if you love what you see. Um, This will allow you to get future notifications for new episodes of this podcast. Of course, if you're listening through audio with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Make sure you subscribe on those platforms as well. And then, of course, for those who have been inquiring about how to contribute monetarily to the growth of this podcast, uh, we do accept donations through Cash App and Venmo. So if you are on Cash App or have it on your phone, you can hit up our handle, which is money sign ID talk for Ed. And then if you're on Venmo, our handle is at K-W-A-M-E-S-M. That's at Kwame SM. And then to catch previous episodes of the podcast, you can either visit our YouTube channel, which is under my name, Kwame South Mensa, or you can go to our official website, which is identitytalk4educators.com. Thank you all for your support those who have been continuing to watch and listen to our podcast. um, It's always greatly appreciated. So today's episode, uh, we're talking about obviously math, but we're talking about it through the lens of our black and brown students. Um, Obviously, when we look at math education and just math learning in general, uh, there are different ways in which that is manifested in the classroom. And one thing that has come to light, especially in recent years through research and and other content is that the way our black and brown students learn math, process math, um, it's different than how it's traditionally taught. You have to do it in a way that speaks to the culture in a way that speaks to them and allows them to be engaged so that they can access it in a real authentic way. And that's something that 
isn't talked about enough. Even though there's growing conversation around it, there's still more conversation that needs to be had. And this is why we wanted to talk about just this issue of anti-blackness in math education and ways in which we can combat it and really make it more um, authentic for our learners. So to help us with this conversation, I want to bring on a brother who's doing some phenomenal work in this area. And yeah, I'm just excited to have him on. So I don't want to waste too much more time. So let's bring on the good brother, uh, Dr. Nicholas Ortiz to the podcast to talk with us about his journey, his work in academia as it relates to math education and how we can really combat this anti-blackness issue that we're still dealing with in our math classroom. So let's bring Dr. Ortiz on for this conversation. What's going on, brother? What's up, y'all? What's up? What's up? So glad to be here. <laughs> yes, sir. It's an honor to have you on, man. How you feel? I feel good, man. Life is good. I feel like I'm in a good place. I'm happy to be with y'all. Um, you and your podcast this this time around, man. And yeah, all all is well. All is well. Yes, sir. So um on this podcast, uh, we have three segments that we like to cover. Um, the first segment is what we call our mathography. So all of us math lovers, we have a story, a personal story that speaks to our relationship with math, how we first encountered math in our lives how we've grown with math and evolved with it over time and how it still stays with us to this very day. So I want to give you an opportunity to just share your story of how you've come to love math and, and why you still continue to love it as evidence of the work that you're doing. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. I think that's always a, a, an important place to start, right? Like it's kind of, um and I, I love this word bro like mathography <laughs> that's just kind of sitting with me i'm gonna have to use that in my in my own uh <laughs> conversations now yes sir by all means yeah man but um yeah I, I feel like this could be a really long story or this could be a really short story <laughs> you know but i think part of where i start right like is that i think there was always um just some conversation about, right, like me kind of being like a very gifted child or right, like being very knowledgeable in mathematics, right? I think I always heard that. But what I also heard in that conversation or in that narrative was that it almost seemed like there was some bit, somewhat of an anomaly for that to be happening, right? Not only were people like telling me that I was like really good at math, but it was like, it was almost like it was a shock to them, right? Like, and I think that always kind of really gauge the way that I, I knew there was something interesting, but I couldn't, I didn't have the language for it. Like when I was growing up, right? Like, I think it was, um, it was, it was very present, but I think I just, like I said, I didn't know, um, I didn't, I didn't have the language for it all, all the time. Right. I think, um, yeah, like we moved around a lot of times, a lot of different times, like kind of growing up, went to a lot of different elementary schools, a lot of different middle schools, a lot of different high schools, all within the metro Atlanta area. But like just uh, for various reasons, right? Like just being enrolled in different um, places. But each time, right? Like there was always like kind of this, at least um, eventually, right? Like I would be here like, oh, this boy is real smart. This kid is real smart. All these different things, right? Like, and it was, it was very interesting as I kind of 
was enrolled in different schools that had different demographics, right? Like what that looked like to be like in a totally black school that um, like, oh, you're coming in being like this really smart black kid. And also what that meant to be in like really white schools, like coming in as like this really um, gifted uh, math student. Um, so yeah, like that was always a part of it. I'll also say, right, like that I think within my trajectory of, of math learning, like black women in particular were always very present in my lives and kind of helping to cultivate this uh this math genius if you will right like i I, i've always had a lot of black uh women teachers and and they were definitely some of the ones that like um took on more hats than just the i'm just here to get a check right like it was it was very much right like a pouring into a mentoring, right? Like, and I think that made the difference in the way that I, I experienced mathematics, right? Like, and I think that always was something that I'm like, I have to take that into my own teaching and uh when I when I interact with children. Um, just to kind of give a, a bit of that, right? Uh I remember eighth grade, uh, Miss Allen, right? Like she was uh this black woman teacher that I was taking in algebra. Um Cause I was again on this advanced track taking algebra in the eighth grade. And, and one of the things that I just remember about Miss Allen was right. She had this group of black students <laughs> coming up to the school on Saturdays to learn, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And it was like, for no other reason, right? Like we didn't get any accolades out of it. Right. Nothing else. It was just like, you know, like if y'all are going to be prepared, right? Like I don't have enough time to really get this done um, within our current, trajectory right like so y'all gotta come on these saturdays and that was it right like it wasn't like a penalty right like it was nothing else she could really do it was just like we were that motivated to learn from miss allen that she had a group of black students coming up to the school on a saturday and it was like wow. there was something that was so rich just about that and that that we knew right like that we were we she helped us to learn to love it for ourselves we were doing it for her but then we were also doing it because it meant a lot for for what came next in our lives Right? Like, and she helped us to kind of to explore that and to kind of um, take that on, right? And I think about even like my high school teacher, right? I always like, I'm, you know, I'm having this conversation <laughs> and this black woman, right? Like this black woman teacher and like we having this conversation and I'm, I'm telling her that, you know, yeah, I, I just want to be lazy during my senior year. I don't want to take AP calculus, you know? I want to <laughs> um, have this senior writers. I want to chill. You know, I'm thinking right. she's listening. You know, we're having this conversation. When I tell y'all, the next day I walked into her class, she had a brand new schedule fixed for me. And she said, you're taking AP Calculus. <laughs> and it was like, at that point, I can't even argue. You know, it's like, it, it's like she knew that I had the ability to do it. I think there was a lot of it, though, was just um, I didn't, I didn't always believe in myself, right? Like, but I think she saw something in me. Um that that again i was still trying to uh you know place my place my finger on and she kind of helped me to realize that so that was beautiful you know i think i thank god definitely for teachers like that because i think it makes a world of difference you know like when you have that as you're growing up because i say the last one of the last big moments in my um just my trajectory you know i've been teaching for about uh i taught high school for about um four years before going back in uh doing my phd and i had this one professor man like i i needed to take a a, a math content course so i could you know be uh have enough graduate level 
um, credits to be able to teach at a community college. So I was going back like during my PhD, I'm like, OK, I'm going to pick up this one extra graduate level math course so I could teach at the community college just if I want to. Right. Sure. And then I never forget, man, this white woman professor that I had, she said, you know, I told you at the beginning of this class that I didn't think that you had the mathematical background to be taking my course. And it was like, dang, man, like in that moment, right? Like she caused me to doubt everything that had been poured into me up until that point, right? Like wow. all the work that those teachers had poured into me, even the fact that I had already been teaching for so long, you know what I'm saying? It was like, dang, am I really supposed to be here? And part of the reason that I do this work, right? Like it's because I wonder about what happens if that would have been my teacher back in middle school or back in high wow. school. How different would my trajectory have been if those types of teachers are at that level and how much, how often, right? Like some black kids don't have the 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 um the blessing to be to have the the same type of teachers that I had and they get that teacher, right? Like, and so how how different is their trajectory because of that? So um again, I could keep going, but I think those are like some of the the main moments within my mathography, right? <laughs> yeah, that's those are some major moments. So just going back for a second, you spoke on the maternal instinct of those math teachers you had in high school mm. and the fact that you still had doubt in your abilities, even though you are traveling along this trajectory of being this gifted student all throughout K to 12, but yet you still had the doubt in your mind. And then you go into uh, these grad level courses and then you have this white woman professor pretty much saying that you didn't have the the requisite mathematical background to take her course. Mm -hmm. But you are somebody who is throughout your entire educational career, just as a student, you've always excelled in math. And then yet you have this white woman saying that. Now, when she said that, what gave her that idea or that to think that, oh, you can't handle my course, just... Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, you just a black man, you know, you can't you can't do this course. I could just tell. Or was there some sufficient data? I just want to just paint the picture for our audience so they yeah, understand the depths of what you're saying. Yeah, like because I, I, I went to her like and I, I asked her what made her say that. And she was saying yeah. that you know, she had um she was like, Well, I looked at your transcript, but it was it was crazy because this was this was the intro class to um this was an intro class, their intro class to, to graduate level work. But what was crazy was I had, like I said, I had already taken 15 hours of graduate level math. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And it was like, um, like, and so, you know, then my question was like, is that commonplace for you to go look at all your students' transcripts? I was like, that that seems like that's a lot of work to be going. Really? And you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like for you to even pull up the transcript or to go the work of finding that student's transcript. Right. Like when, you know what I'm saying? Like you weren't doing any advising. It was just and I think the only thing that prompted her to do that was because, you know, one of the things I had always learned from my professor, well, from my teachers. Right. One of the mentoring strategies they had always told me they were like, you know, make good connections with your professors. You know what I'm saying? Like if you like you need to make sure like your college professors um, 
like they know you by name, right? Like you're going to their mm-hmm. office, right? Like you're building connect, you you're building community with them. That of way, course. like they know who you are. You know what I'm saying? And so I have always taken that very literally, right? Like so, my my professors used to always know me, and so like I used to do the same thing with her, right? Like I would go to her office a lot of times, but I'd be like, hey, I'm working on this problem. I was looking at this, and so that's what prompted her to say that because, again, right? Like. And what's what's interesting, and I know we we're not getting into some of the the research this yet, right? But the way, right, like that we think about like how Black students navigate, particularly like um, higher education spaces, right? Like so, part of what I had learned as like a navigational capital, right? Like how do you? Part of what had always been told to me by my mentors was how do I interact with professors? So the the way that I had learned to navigate, right, like post secondary um, environments was was clearly like something that she disapproved of right like she was like why are you coming to my office this much and why are you trying to have this many conversations with me and it was like it wasn't that i couldn't do it it was the fact that right like i had always learned that i'm supposed to be in constant communication with you right Right. that tension between what does this look like how does this really get taken up and like how that even caused her to um to doubt my ability to be able to do it so it was it was interesting, man. It was interesting. That that's that's really interesting because what's so weird is if you weren't if you weren't a, a brother, right? Mm-hmm. And you were doing the same thing. My guess is that they wouldn't have had that interpretation mm-hmm. of you coming to the office hours asking questions because that's something that good students do. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I was taught. Exactly. You know, right. if, if you're a student and you're in the lecture hall, you have no idea what the professor is saying. They're the ones who encourage you to go to the office hours. There's a reason why office hours are available. Mm-hmm. So if you're going there, it's not even it's not even so much a case of you're incapable of doing the work or you're struggling. Sometimes it just might be, no, I want to kick it with a professor. Exactly. Because I'm trying to show them that I'm invested and I'm interested in what their class is and mm-hmm. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the disconnect was, right? Because like, I, I said the same thing, brother. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, even like, I remember there were times where some of like my really strong math students when I was teaching high school, they would come to tutorial just to finish up their homework in tutorial, right? Like they were having a conversation with me. They really didn't need that much help on their work, right? Like, but they would, you know, as they're kind of working, they're asking questions, like we're laughing, we're talking, right? Like it was building community around like the teaching and learning of mathematics. And that's yeah. what made mathematics that much less intimidating to which I think she did not connect all of that. And it was like, it was very much like a, like a slap in the face, right? Like that, dang, like, there's again, there's a tension here that she isn't aware of, right? Like, but we've been socialized around what it means to be a mathematics um, person very differently. Mm, true. And then when I look at my undergrad experience, so I was a math major at uh, Temple University. Shout out to Temple University, Philly in the building, right? Hi, Philly. And during the time that I was doing undergrad, whenever you went into a classroom for a math course, I would either be the only black person in there or one of a few. Um, I didn't have any black math professors in my five years of undergrad, none. They were either 
you know, white or Asian. That was it. Did no black, no Latinx um, professors. And I always find myself trying to find community with, you know, my black classmates, whoever mm-hmm. they were. I try to befriend them and we just, you know, work together to try to get through these classes. Definitely. Um, but I always think to myself, if I just had black professors in a few of them, not every class, but in a few of those courses, right. I definitely would have fared one, better. At least one. <laughs> at least one. I would have fared better during really? my undergrad years because, man, it, when I say it was real, you know, the struggle was real. Like, yeah. but I want to go into you know details with all that because I want to make sure we we focus on you. So, um, during your undergrad, you had a good amount of black professors, or was it kind of a, a diverse uh, mix? So during undergrad, let me yeah. think. Um, so. The way my my degree was set up, right? Like I was in math education, so I my my degree, um, we took a lot of the same courses that the math students would take, right? Like, but then I also took education classes, right? Like, so my senior year, like I was um, I was taking education, particularly in math education courses, and so I had a few more black professors, uh, particularly within the the college of education, within the 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 college within like the math department i'm trying to remember i'm trying to think back man i really i don't think within the math department i had if i had any none are standing out yeah i don't think i did not in the math department itself nah Mm -hmm. Ah, interesting interesting uh but we'll definitely get more into that as we move on to this next segment, so show your work, right? These are the three most popular words you'll hear out of any math teacher's mouth. Show your work. You're bringing up some work to get graded uh, for your teacher. They check it. They see that there's what they deem is a lack of evidence, a lack of mathematical thinking. They're going to tell you, I'm going to need you to show your work so I can see how you're thinking about this skill, how you're thinking about this content. I need to know that you really understand. Um, And that's just something that we've been conditioned to do given our um, math learning experience. You know, it's always about that answer. And that always trumped the process that we took to get to the answer. Um, And it's something that still even goes on to this very day. But in the context of this podcast, when we say show your work, this is about your receipts. It's about the receipts. And in this case, we're talking about the work that you're doing with regard to how we can improve the learning experiences of black and brown students in the math classroom, which is something that's been of a major focus in your research and and the work that you're doing so to just get started um you are a doctor <laughs> and we got to put some respect <laughs> on that you know as a black man but i want to give you a chance to just share 
and and maybe the clip notes version because there's so much more we got to cover. <laughs> uh, what the experience was navigating those waters in academia. You know, what were those ups and downs when you were going through that journey of getting um, that degree? Mm. Mm. Think. I'm very pensive sometimes, so give me a second just to think. Take your time. I hmm. And if you're still, if you're still with whatever university, and this is a question that you can't answer, I respect that as well. Cause I want to make sure you know you keep your job, brother. So hey, listen, listen. I think sometimes they need to hear it though. But no, no, I'm not with that university. <laughs> ah, right, cool. Just making sure. Mm -hmm. I think, man, I think one of the, I don't know, man, I, I think, yeah, I think it was just a, I, the best way to kind of explain it, right? It, it was just a learning experience. And I think um, there was so much of it, like where I was, we were only, Black people were only, I think, at most. I want to say like 3.6% of the population, which it was a really big school. So it was like that three, you really felt that 3.6%, right? Like, and I think um, that really, that really made a difference, right? Like coming from Atlanta where like I was very much socialized around like just a lot of black people, right? Like my, yeah. my high school was like 99% black, you know what I'm saying? Like the school I taught in was like, 99% black and you know it's just like being um like this very being very much in like these black spaces for so long right um there was I think maybe that was a part that I was kind of missing was right like uh um just being around enough black people right like I think that was like I, I definitely felt that I think um just even outside of like the schooling context right like so I'm I'm mind you right like i'm leaving atlanta to go to this place um the school right like to, to kind of be um to get this to get this degree right like, so there's there's things you give up like during that right like so you give up a lot of times you give up like comfortability right like mm -hmm. um i grew up like i'm a church kid right like i grew up in the church um one of the things that was like a really big thing for me right like was that it was like how do i stay grounded right like in in like my Christianity in a place right like that has a totally different church right like I don't even have like a traditional black church right like to attend right like so it's like when these things get difficult at school how then do I kind of still you know kind of navigate them kind of kind of deal with them in a way where right like my support system now has has shifted or has changed right like so I think that was a part of it um I think another part of it was just that, you know, when you call back home, right? Like I'm the first of my, like I'm the first of my grandmother's grandchildren that's doing a PhD. You know what I'm saying? Oh, wow. Like, um, and yeah, a, that's big. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, and 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 a, not too many of us are like our college graduates in general. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, I'm calling home. You know, I'm talking, you know, to my mom, to my family, to my siblings. Right. Like, I'm just kind of saying, right, like how difficult some of these moments are. Right. Like, and they're like, ah, oh, you smart. You're going to get it. It's going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? Which is comforting. But it's like, there's a level. I think what was maybe like a difficulty was that I couldn't find the words to communicate to them necessarily the, 
the kind of to some degree right like some of the turmoil right like that the phd puts you through right like so like it was like you know i'm i'm, I'm kind of you know i'm bent into them right like but you know like when you're not able to fully describe all of what you're feeling all of what you're kind of going through right like because they like they're they're kind of they're just unfamiliar you know so i think sure. that was a that was a tension for me right like in and that they really just didn't um like I, I i couldn't communicate it as well you know so i think i think that part right like and i think um kind of going to some of the ups though right like i think i found i did find my community right like i i um I was president of the Black Graduate Students Association at my at my uh, undergrad institution, um, which was also right. Like so, it, it was it was interesting to some degree because where when I was doing my doctoral work, right, like this was around the time of um, you know Mike Brown and some other some other folks uh, wow, kind of getting that, killed. You know what I'm saying? Like so, yeah, that being like you know, very much some tension <laughs> around the university, right? Like, in, and then also, right, like I'm in Texas at the heart of um, Donald Trump getting, uh, like going on his campaign trail and then getting elected, right? Like, so it was very much, right? Like, um, how do you kind of grapple and kind of internalize some of these things that are happening out there, but I still have to write a dissertation. You know what I'm saying? It's like, how, yeah. do, I, how do I wrap my head around all of this? Um, and how do I still feel safe, like in the midst right. of all this, right? So I think that was a part of it. Um, but like I said, like I, I, I was able to find some community, so so I appreciate that. And I, um, again, I had some some folks, right? Like I think part of what PhD and doctoral work kind of helped to to introduce me to was like some some really close colleagues and really close friends that, um, you know, I think you find your your crew of other black uh like academics that are um kind of going through some of the same stuff right like so they kind of understood what i was going through and we also supported each other right? like it was like a peer mentoring type of thing mm -hmm. so I, that was a part of the beauty in doing this right like it's like man now like even the grant that i have now right like is that um four of them i met during doctoral work you know what i'm saying wow, so it's, like, it, it's like it's such a beautiful thing in that regard uh but yeah i think uh just something a bit more maybe like tangible to the program i think what what i had to learn right um that my that my that my work is very specific towards um uh thinking about like what teaching and learning means for for black children right and i think there was a there was a part of me that was kind of scared or timid about that for a while right like it, it was like um oh man people are gonna call me racist or people are gonna you know like say these different things right like but yeah. i had to kind of reconcile this idea that right like there is there's so much that we still don't know about what is going on with 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 these children and learning with mathematics right and there's still so much work to undo like some of the deficit narratives that people put out about black children and learning mathematics right, right? Like, so um i'm like this is the work that is necessary right like so there was a um there was there was there was that um and yeah man like I'll, I'll pause there but like those are some like the big things like just like as you've been to like some of the ups and downs throughout the program but yeah yeah i know there's so much there but you did mention this new project that you're working on uh and i think it's through the national science foundation if i'm correct right it is it is it is yes 
and let me make sure I get this title right. So the title of this project is focusing on examining blackness in post-secondary STEM education through a multidimensional multiplicative lens. So that is a mouthful. So <laughs> for our for our um audience who may not be in that academia realm, mm -hmm. can you break it down? exactly what the focus of the project is and what do you and your team of scholars and colleagues hope to accomplish with this project yeah man i i appreciate you for reading the name out because i was like let me let me get all the words to it again it's still so fresh still so new now nah, but um yeah it's a beautiful it's a beautiful just endeavor right like um yes. And pretty much what what we wanted to look at, right? Like it was kind of born out of this idea, right? Like that a lot of times, right? Um, people will kind of read black people in particular, right? Like it's being very monolithic, right? Like it's like you know, mm -hmm. well, we understand black students are struggling with STEM education, right? Like so, let's just give them this these one these this one set of tools. But I think part of what we want to look at, right? Like it's like how do we nuance blackness in a way that says, right? Like that. All black people are not going to require or going to need the same things to be able to navigate STEM environments or STEM majors, yes. right? So it's like when we talk about like this this multiplicative lens, right? Like what we're really looking at, right? Like is how then do um, maybe like black people who grew up in the U.S., right? Like so who we might think of like um, who have always grown up in the states versus like and they're at a post secondary level, right? Like in their majoring in engineering. How then might that differ from somebody that still identifies as black, right? But most of their upbringing uh, is Nigeria. It's from Nigeria, right? Like, mm -hmm. how then do we think about, right? Like, though, how how they're socializing in in many of the same ways, but also there's some nuances in the ways that they understand their blackness and understand navigating these these aspects of this, right? And then I think we're also trying to look at, right? Like, how do they also understand their blackness within the um, within these environments, right? Like. In what ways do they have they come to understand particularly right like what it means to be um uh what it mean what it means to be african-american what it means to be afro-latinx what it means to be right like biracial within this context or like how do all of these things that still fall on this idea of blackness um impact the way that they're socialized and impact the things that we say um, how we theorize around what policy that we need to put in place for these students. So that's what the project is really looking at is like, how do we um, kind of make sense around that? And so I'm heading up the site here in, in Georgia, um, but my colleagues are also, um, I have colleagues in Texas, have colleagues in Chicago, colleagues in the DC area, right? Like, so, and part of the intention around that, right? Like, is that we know even blackness looks different um, uh, regionally, right? Like yes, the way does. that uh, ATL blackness looks from mm -hmm. like uh, North Carolina blackness or a Texas blackness might be radically different, right? So we're trying to look into all these different spaces and kind of really nuance and theorize around those types of things. Oh man, I love it, man. I love it. And I like the fact that you're looking at this through an intersectional lens because mm -hmm. um, you're talking about blackness and we know that with blackness it comes in different shades uh different textures 
Um, I can think about my own experience. I actually spent part of my K-12 schooling in Ghana. Oh, no, no. Going to school there. And I could tell you the level of math that I was doing out there during my 7th, 8th, and ninth grade years was at a higher level than what I would have done if I had um, done my schooling in the States during those grades. And you hear that so much, right? Like, I hear that so much, right? Like, oh, that, it's real. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like, dang, like, and I, and I think that that in turn, right, like impacts the way that they feel, whether or not, like when you ask black students, did they feel like they were prepared once they got to college, right? Like, it's like, some of them say yes, right? Like some of them say no, right? Like, well, what happens when you start nuancing who is saying yes to this and who is saying no? And like about like where their where their K-12 schooling kind of came from, you know? Right. And so it's it, it's it's very intriguing. It, I think it, it allows us to ask some really dope questions um, and to be able to uh, theorize in some really beautiful ways. Yeah. And I think then that's one aspect. And then with regard to family dynamics. I come from a household where both my parents are college educated. Mm. You know, my father graduated with the MBA, has a strong math background. He was an actuary. My mom also had a strong math background, even though she was studying nursing. But I was exposed to that. And then we look at other people in my family, like my older brother, he's in aerospace engineering. So math has always been something that's been within my family. But then if you go to other black households, that may not be the makeup of that family. Mm-hmm. So the math experience or the orientation to math is going to be drastically different just based on that alone. Yeah. So I know there are so many other um, aspects of it that you have to uh, factor in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and, and we're looking forward to, to exploring all of those, man, or as much as we can. Or like, because we know family, right? Like, those those tend to be like a, a huge support system, right? Like, as particularly like as Black students go into these um, these post secondary institutions, right? Like, it's like, you, you know, like, what does it mean? You know, we talk a lot about the, the terminology around what it means to be first gen, right? Like, and what it means mm-hmm. to, you know, be there like the first person in their family to go do that. It's like it's a it's a, a part of what helps, right? Like is is um right like there's there's a capital that comes along with knowledge of how you know to navigate these instant like these post secondary institutions and and what it means to right like get FAFSA done and what it means to you know do these other things and uh, what it means to talk to professors, <laughs> you know, right? And so a lot of times we we know right like that like if 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 family members or parents have had that experience, right, it's easier to pass that information down to their student or to their children who are current right. students, you know? Yeah, and that and that helps with that navigational capital piece, just being able to have that ability to talk to your professors and in order to get the results you're looking for. But with so much going on with this topic, um, we could take it, we could just take this topic from different angles, but I'm more interested in just the language piece. Mm-hmm. And I know this is something that you yourself have talked about in different 
presentations, make different workshops, and you're passionate about this. Um, I know just from teaching math, and I've had predominantly black uh, classrooms throughout my entire career, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, middle school. And even though I know the traditional math lingo, there are times where I can't use that to get that learning out of my kids. Sometimes I had to use some non-traditional informal language so that they can access it better. And I taught in Boston. I taught in Philly. And the lingo is very different in Philly. When I was in Philly, I was saying John a lot. Because John is like the word. And then you go to Boston, it's like on God and on dogs. Like there's, there's, there's these terms that that are very much synonymous with different areas where black people are, you know, and I had to find ways to incorporate that into my pedagogy Mm. in order for them to get connected. So I want to find out from you, just from your experience and just through the research you've done, what are those benefits of centering those linguistic identities of black students Factoring in just knowing the fact that that those are different regardless of where you are, right? Mm. How can we what's the benefit of centering those linguistic identities in your instructional and pedagogical approach? Yeah, man, I think that's a, a dope question, man. Like, because I I think the benefit, right, like is that students start to see themselves as being inherently involved in these disciplines right like i think for so long right like i think um black students in particular right like have been like man we don't do math like we don't use math when like like there's so many different kind of conversations around like what mathematics is what it isn't um and who is a part of that conversation you know Mm -hmm. and i think when we utilize like the linguistic identities of these students right we help them to see themselves within the content in in and of itself right so so part of what i think and part of what i always try to help people to understand right like is that there is so much that we teach children even that is outside of the curriculum right like even like me going into a, a a class having a full lesson plan and I'm teaching on this this content, there's so much more that we're teaching them um, about themselves and during that class period than just what we have on uh, implemented in that um, in that lesson plan, right? Like in part of what I try to make sure that I do not teach them, right? Like is how to disparage their own linguistic practices, right? How not to disparage the language that they utilize with their cousins, with their family members, right? Like when they, that they utilize at church, I don't want them to ever leave my mathematics classroom thinking that there is something inferior about the ways that they communicate with their communities and the ones that they love, right? Like, so there's never going to be a time where I I tell them there's something wrong with that language. What I do in my pedagogy and what I, what I try to focus on, right? Like is how do we make them, how do we help them to understand that? uh, And I, I like the way that, um, April Becker Bell frames it, right? Like when she calls it black language. Um, But a lot of times you'll see a lot of the language and literacy scholars and the scholars in linguistics um, talk about like African-American language, right? Like where people, some people may know the more dated um, Ebonics um, Mm -hmm. or African-American vernacular English. 
But part of what I want them to understand about black language, right? Like is that black language has all the tools, right? Like that we need them to be able to use even within a mathematics discourse, right? Like so that there's like black language is not hurting for any of that. But what I want them to understand, right? Like is that there is a language, right? Like there, there, there's terminology, there's vocabulary that gets taken up in mathematics spaces that isn't better than the language that we use in black language, right? Like I just need you to understand, right? Like how to also use that language in addition to this math language. Again, I don't want you to ever think that there's something wrong with black language. I just need you to know that it's different from what we have um, that we typically will use within mathematics environments, right? Like that they're again, right? Like um, and and in the way that I kind of go about this, right? Like so, I even start with you know in mathematics, right? Like we always talk about proving, <laughs> right? Like proof is like one of the big, you know, the go tos, right? Um, and I talk about right, like how even within the context of black language, right? Like we think about proof all the time, right? Like for a child sure. to say, man, on my mama, on my hood, you know what I'm saying, right? Like they are trying yep. to prove something to you, right? Like, so again, when I try to, and, and you know, they typically will laugh at that, you know, but but what I, what I always want them to understand, right? Like that is that the way that we kind of teach them two column proofs, right? Like that this is one form, right? Like that people have said, right? Like this is like how we have agreed and been socialized to, to think about proof within this space. Again, the way that we prove in other spaces, particularly within Black language, is no less inferior. Again, this is just a different way that you're going to prove. And this is what we're focused on today. But again, I don't want you to think that there's anything wrong with the way that we prove in other ways. So that has been a big part of it. And I think part of, again, going back to that question of what are the benefits, right? Like, I think they leave their knowing a little more about the language, right, like that they use, right, like in the beauty of the language that we use um, in those spaces, right, and I think um, it, it's so interesting to me, right, like because I think we don't think enough about the ways that Black people love language, you know what I'm saying, this is what I always try to, to highlight, right, like yeah. if you think about the the whole genre of hip hop, right? Like it was founded, right? Like, and it's imbued with black language. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And like people yes. take it up all the time. And it's like, yo, like part of the reason why there's such an appeal, right? Like it's because I think um, there's, there's this love for language, right? Like that we don't always highlight or we make explicit all the time. Even if we think about, right? Like the, the, the first, um, black nobel laureate you know what i'm saying i think toni morrison was the first black one the first woman as well um in the in the u.s but but don't quote me on that just yet y'all but <laughs> she is the first black nobel laureate um and she's got it for like she, she literally uses black language within all her um within all her novels you know what i'm saying like yes. so how do we have a canon of black literature but then we still think about like how decadent, how inferior, how how inappropriate, how wrong black language is. Right. Like there, there's never a time that we should be teaching uh, children that. Right. Like and I think, um, again, right, like even within the context of mathematics, right, like if we want children to be able to discuss their ideas, to engage in mathematics discourse. I'm never saying, right, like that a student, right, like these students should never know the language of coefficient. Like, I need you to know what a coefficient is. I of need course. you to know what an asymptote is, right? But as you are engaging, right, like part of what we want in math education is for students to be able to, to conjecture, right, like to be able to explain their thinking, right, like to be able to critique others' ideas. Part of what I help them to also understand is that Black language has the capacity to be able to do all of that and more. 
So I'll pause mm. there. Like, if, if there's anything you want me to follow up on, but like, that's the <laughs> that's the gist of it, man. And and I'll I'll, I'll say one more thing too, right? Like, because I think yes, um, Teresa Perry, right? Like, she um she mentions this right, like in the the Ebonics debate book, right? She she talks about right, like that language, right? Like, is like this last um kind of area, this last atmosphere, right? Like that we that we still have a lot of black shame around. You know what I'm saying? It's like she's like. You know, we we've learned to love we we've learned to love the melanin in our skin, right? Like we've learned to love our hair, but there's something about the language that it almost makes us cringe at times, right? Like there there's a part of it that we still haven't learned to fully love all the way, and I but there's something so black about the language, and I think again for me, if I'm having students engage in mathematics, right? Like if I'm having them engage in mathematics discourse, I have to know that black language is going to pop up in those conversations. And again, I want them to know that it is is valuable, that it's beautiful, that it's appropriate, right? Like I want them to know all of these things about the language that they use and that they're able to still be able to do mathematics within the context of that language. And I agree with everything you're saying uh, with regard to that. But I think there's always this conflict that comes up when we have this conversation. And, and it's the fact that in every state in our country, we're taking standardized tests, parts specifically in math, that are just inherently anti-Black. Mm. We look at the language, mm. right? And you mentioned coefficients. Like I could talk about coefficients and variables, equations and equalities, um, some product, all these different terms that we know in math that are important. But those are the same terms that students are expected to use on these assessments, right? And that's how they get the you know, the marks or the grades that they get on these assessments is by demonstrating how well they're able to use that language, even though that's the formal language that they do, that you we use in math, mm -hmm. there's no space for them to show their thinking in a way that's authentic, authentic to them culturally mm -hmm. and linguistically. And I think that's where we have to really um, disrupt Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but that's mm -hmm. something that's not going to happen overnight, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah. so what do you say to that? Because I know people have brought that up. <laughs> yeah, man, I think it points to the bigger issue of standardized testing. You know what All I'm right. saying? Like when we try to, I always say, and this is what I was telling my doctoral students, right? Like is that whenever you standardize something, something else gets left out. Like, let's be clear, right? Like when we standardize things, right? Like something is going to be left out. And typically those things are things that are typically more affirming to black people, right? Like, or that are tend to be more, um, uh, more situated, like, like within black cultural spaces, right? Like, so we know that's like, and that's a part of the anti-blackness, right? Like is how then do we also have, like, if we're talking about standardizing, how do we make something that is standardized across all of these different cultures. And I think that's the difficulty there, right? Like, and, and I think to me, that kind of points to the to the fact, right? Like that, why do we even want to standardize this, right? Like if like we're able to um, have conversations um, 
about these these children, right? Like developing mathematically, right? Like, does it all need to occur in the same exact way? You know what I'm saying? Like, we're we're really testing part of it, right? Like, is that you know we're testing such basic such basic skills, right? Like, and I think a lot of times those very basic skills aren't always like they don't allow, particularly for Black children, right? Like, to be able to show the creativity of their mathematical thinking right like or the like the the beauty or like the 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 very brilliance of their mathematical thinking right like and and i think the the desire to be able to standardize a lot of times like i said like it just leaves so much out of the conversation it leaves so much Mm -hmm. off of the table right like and it 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 forces you to say that my math like to conform to mathematics thinking like in a very like in a very niche kind of way, right? Like it like says that you're proficient away, right? only yeah. if you're able to do these, like these certain tasks or these certain procedures, right? A lot of times, them kids don't really like knowing what those procedures like are outside of that standardized test. It's like, well, how then have you really cultivated some mathematics thinking and learning in these children, right? Like if it's only something that they can do on a test, and this isn't to say, this isn't to say, like it sound deficit towards these kids right but part like this is deficit towards the actual test right like there's something wrong with the test (laughs) like to be clear but but yeah man like and yeah i i just i i think we have to and this is for part of the freedom dreaming right that i'm trying to do like in my work is to say what is a better way for us to really be able to showcase right like I don't, I don't think that we necessarily have to to test to be able to say right like man look how brilliant these kids are right like i think so often testing and, and standardized tests is used to penalize what if we really had a value for being able to display their brilliance that said man look how brilliant these kids are how much of a different interpretation or framing is that than just to say well if you can't pass this test in this exact way, I'm going to penalize you versus, man, let me demonstrate everything that I have learned over this semester or over this course. You know what's crazy? With regard to that, I think about some of the college courses we've taken, whether mm-hmm. we're talking undergrad or even grad, postgrad, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. In some of those courses, our final assessment wasn't even a summative assessment. Mm. It was mm. more so a portfolio of work. Exactly. Exactly. Like, okay. Give me like five or six items you want to put in your portfolio to demonstrate that you understood everything that I taught during this semester. Exactly. I don't understand why we can't do that. I think that's something that we could standardize across the board. Mm. Let's give students the autonomy to showcase their learning. Mm. Okay. I want you to take two pieces of work that show your growth in learning. Exactly. Two pieces of work that you know that you can improve upon. Two pieces of work that you're most proud of Mm -hmm. and explain how you've grown in this work. Explain why you're proud of this work. Explain why you need to improve in this work. Mm -hmm. That's the critical thinking that's lacking sometimes in our assessments. And I just feel like with regard to math, we can do more of that. Exactly. More. <laughs> exactly, man. Like, and to me, right, like that's much more of uh, an intellectually rigorous skill 
than just being able to do certain procedures, right? Like that to me, that that requires so much more than just factoring 10,000 equations, right? Like or 10,000 expressions, you know what I'm saying? Like after you've done two of those, I'm good. I don't need to see you do like 8,000 more, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think that's the part that we have to get out of is that there's only one way for them to be able to showcase this brilliance. I do, I will say this, right? Like just because I think, I can hear people responding to that, right? Like particularly, right? Like practitioners, like teachers that are in the classroom, you know, it, it's difficult to maybe like keep up with all those portfolios or to grade that many portfolios. It's right? a little bit more work. Yeah. I will yeah. admit that. And, and it's I a little get bit more that, work. right? Like, but if, if like, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if the, the case is the really just like, again, how much are you really learning from them if all they're doing is standardized testing though? You know what I'm saying? It's like, if we really want to, I, I feel like we could we could shift it around to say like again right like you know this this conversation like do do students need homework every night do students need quizzes every week you know what I'm saying like mm -hmm. what if it was like that portfolio was like you turn that portfolio in, portfolio in once a month you know what I'm saying and like that re that drastically reduces the amount of work that you have to grade you know and it's it's something much more substantive than. Than just like maybe like a, a standardized multiple choice quiz that they might have just guessed all the way on. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. it's like you're, you're seeing more of the process. Um, you're seeing them show work more. You get me? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think that's the problem. We like to do things that are convenient for us as teachers, and I say that in a generalized sense. Not not you or me, of course, but just mm -hmm. in general, like the way certain things are set up. It's set up in a way that's more convenient for us, but not always in the best interest of our students. Right. right. And standardized testing is just something that is, if not at the top of the list, near the top of that list. Mm -hmm. You know, because listen, am I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I love grading. Right. <laughs> but I know it's something that is necessary for me to understand how well my students are progressing. Yeah. It's something that I have to do and is necessary. And I recognize that. Do I love it? No. Right. Do I love the lesson plan? No, I do not. <laughs> but I did it every week because I knew it would get me prepared week after week. And I was a much better teacher for that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes we do things that we don't necessarily love to do. But guess what? Did the students benefit from you putting in that extra work? They yeah. sure did. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's what should matter at the end of it all, you know? Yeah. But man, we, we could talk so much about that. So and we may, have to, we may have to table that for like <laughs> a, a part two down the road. Yeah. Um, but I do want to make sure that I'm uh, respectful of your time. So just to close us out, I want to do a quick lightning round. Uh, just have a few quick hitter questions to close out the conversation. Uh, first question is, what is your favorite math skill to teach or learn? Oh, man. I. Oh, man. Lightning. I feel like I see the time about the buzz. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> favorite thing. Ah. I will say, like, I really love, there's this way that I I typically will introduce to my calculus students um, the the reason why we have to think about um, the slope of a, the secant line to approximate the, the slope of the tangent line as we're talking about the derivative. 
Um, I always sure. use this um, <laughs> this little meme of Jay Z on this on this scooter, <laughs> and so we kind of build the whole lesson around that, right? Like, cause like we're talking we're talking about how fast he's going. Then the students, you know, they kind of joining on him at first, but then we kind of build to the idea of right, like why that's a single moment in time and why it's hard to like talk about his speed in that single moment of time. And so that's probably probably my favorite right now. <laughs> ah, cool. Oh, that's dope, man. Most difficult math skill to learn or teach? Either one. Most difficult. Hmm. I think maybe going back to um, particularly maybe like factoring when A is not one. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like when you have to like, you know, kind of do the guess and check and you kind of pairing with the um the outer and the inner, I think students like uh you talk like polynomials, like yeah, yeah like yeah, foil yeah. method and all that. Yeah. So I think they will they want it to be immediate, right? Like, but I like I, I like the idea of saying, well, we those didn't work. Now we got we need to try another set of factors. So I think. That tends to, I think part of the learning is right like that. It's not supposed to be immediate. And that's what I'm teaching them and trying to help them understand. And that tends to be difficult. <laughs> so kind of like going through the list of factor pairs. All right, let's try these, this factor pair. Exactly. Do those fit? No. Exactly. Cross it out. Like, <laughs> no, I feel you on that one for sure. Um, is there a book you're currently reading for leisure? Not so much for research work, but <laughs> leisure. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm actually. I put it down, but I need to. Like, I'm. I'm. I'm reading it. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm kind of reading it, <laughs> just like as I as I go. But um, Jarvis Givens, um, fugitive pedagogy. Oh yeah, so that's a popular one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you read it? Um. I've had people come on and talk about it. And, okay, okay, you know, okay. living in Boston, I've actually bumped into Dr. Givens because, you know, he's at Harvard. Yeah, across the yeah, river. yeah. <laughs> so now, good brother. Um, I still need to uh, read it and see it for myself, but I've just heard nothing but great things about it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to finish that up. I, I started it. I, I'm reading a couple pages here and there. So <laughs> I'm trying to finish it. All right, cool. And then, um, I know you're, you're into music, man. So I want to throw out a music question to finish us off. Okay. Give me your top five favorite musicians of all time. Oh, man. <laughs> no particular order. No particular oh, order. Man. You know, it's funny. I, I start out with this um this little uh, icebreaker with my students, and I, I ask them. But it's you know it's so hard. I feel like it changes. <laughs> but I think one that really kind of helps to to say who I am. Um, like John P. Key, because I grew up in the church and you know, the very much church music. Um, Outcast, because of Atlanta. Oh, of course, you know, ATL. I love love Atlanta. Also with Atlanta, Gladys Knight, you know, that kind of talks to my my love for like the R&B, the old school. Um, uh, Mary J. Blige, because I love the hip hop R&B. Um, and then usually like some of like the last ones are kind of like, be different sometimes, but I'm gonna stick with Atlanta again because of Monica. Like I love me some Monica too. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I could add ten more, but <laughs> but I, no, that's I, I'll, a, I'll that's a pretty that. strong list right there. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty strong right there. Yeah, yeah. that's what's up. But listen, man, man, Nicholas, thank you so much for coming on, man, and sharing your story and and all the work you're doing. Um, just for our listeners and viewers, um, how they can connect with you on social media. Yeah. So Twitter is probably my best way. Um, just cause that's like my, that's my academic, that's my professional. So it's professor P R O F E S S U H N A O. Um, and yeah, you can hit me up on there. I'm, I'm there a lot. Or, um, if you have any questions for me, feel free to shoot me an email, my email, being N-O-R-T-I-Z-1 at gsu.edu. Um, and those are probably the best ways to just um, just to stay in contact. Ah, right, man, that's what's up. So thank you again and hope you have a good rest of the day, brother. You too, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This was an honor. This was an honor. Oh, man, no problem, man. Take care. You too, now. All right. All right, y'all. So we about to go ahead and end another episode of I Dane Talk Educators Live. And as always, wish you all good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Radical Math Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. We are always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard today, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at Identity Talk 4, numeral 4, educators.com. I'll say it one more time Identity Talk 4, educators.com. Thank you and have a great day.